part two of Where the Road Takes Me. Well, back at the Donkey Sanctuary, I meet singer, photographer and reporter with the Corkman newspaper, Sheila Fitzgerald. Sheila has had a long association with the sanctuary. It dates back really to the days of Paddy Barrett. In Christmas Just Gone, Sheila recorded a cover version of the classic old and beautiful song, Little Donkey. The associated video to accompany the song was recorded here at the sanctuary. Where else? It's not surprising to hear of Sheila's association with the donkey sanctuary. After all, she grew up on a farm with cows, horses and donkeys. And that's where her love of animals really began. Absolutely. Well, John, I often say, now, while I love my photography and my music work, my ideal job would be working with animals. So if I was living near Fota or Dublin Zoo, I would be working there. (laughs) But that's another story. But yeah, when I was young and on the farm, we had all types of animals, of course, and we had a donkey and a horse. And, you know, the donkey was a member of the family, as was the horse. But what intrigued me was how intelligent... They were. And even at a young age, I realised, you know, our donkey would be up the farm, you know, during the day. And he was so smart, the gates, you know, the gates, you pull back the latch to open the gate. He was able to open every gate in the farm and come down to the yard. And then he'd knock at the kitchen door and he'd get a crust of bread. And then he could open the door of his own house with his teeth. And my father used to be going mad because he'd leave all the gates open down along the fields. He was great at opening them, but (laughs) not so good at closing them, yeah. But yeah, amazing. They're amazing animals. Is it true you fed your cows chocolate? It is true, yeah. Um, Well, how it evolved was my dad used to always have a packet of boiled sweets in in his pocket, you know, what was called the gallon sweets long ago. And uh, they'd be searching his pocket for the sweets, the cows, and you hear them crunching the sweets. It was so funny. So anyway, they developed a taste in for chocolate and they had a particular liking for Maltesers yeah. and dairy milk and I suppose it, it helped the milk too. Yeah. <laughs> but, also, yeah. uh, we had to have that stuff on us all the time because they'd tear your coat off of you to get get out of your pocket for the, the sweets and the chocolates such as a, a good bit extra in the money every week the housekeeping money <laughs> they're far more intelligent than we give them credit for of course oh absolutely and you know I've been sort of involved with the Donkey Sanctuary since Paddy Barrett started way back because I'd say it would have been the mid 80s that song came out Shoe the Donkey and I remember doing a video here that time I said it was one of the first videos we did of Shoe the Donkey and there were very few donkeys here that time, maybe 20, but they were all around me and Paddy was, has, hadn't long started. So ever since I have had a deep involvement with them through the Kirkman and anything I can do through music or whatever, because, you know, the animals, who would hurt an animal, you know, it's it just beggars belief, really. So if you're thinking seriously of adopting a donkey, first of all, remember, it needs to be a pair. You need patience and you need time to spend with your donkeys to allow them time to settle in and bond with you. Cathy Griffin is Head of Welfare at Donkey Sanctuary Ireland. We always try to pair up the right donkeys with the right people and actually we have a rehoming hub where if you're interested in rehoming a donkey you can come and do some training and potentially meet the donkeys that you're going to to rehome. And sometimes we've thought a donkey would suit a person and when they arrive the donkey's not interested and another donkey comes and meets the person almost like they've picked their person. So when they go out to their new homes, donkeys don't really like change. So it can be a little bit of a, they need some time to adapt. 
So we usually tell people, give them a good two weeks to settle in. Don't expect a lot from them. But the more time you put into them, just like anything, the more time you invest, the more you're going to get back from your animal. And they do bond very, very strongly with their with the people that look after them. They form very tight friendships. What do you need at home then before any donkey arrives to you? You need a place, obviously, for the, uh, the donkey to sleep away from the elements you need outside space and a hard surface as well yeah absolutely and, and i think people have a this sort of idea that donkeys need vast amounts of space and grass and actually they really they don't need a lot of grass grass can be the worst thing for them so most of our donkeys eat straw that's the main part of their diet like 80 percent of their diet is straw so about an acre for two donkeys will be enough you'll need to manage that grazing a little bit um, just to to rest part of it etc but if you've got about an acre of ground the most important thing is the shelter the hard standing and they need to have access to the shelter all the time not just when it's raining so they need to be able to go inside out of the flies in the summer and out of the sun out of the wind or just because they want to go inside and lie down they need that freedom they don't like being locked in a shed either so they like the freedom of coming and going um, so I would say the, the biggest thing you need to consider is your time though and the commitment because you're taking on an animal that potentially could live 25, 30 years with you, even longer in some cases. Back at Munich Airport, the plane now carrying the Manchester United players and staff back home to Manchester was about to make a third attempt at takeoff. Remember, the weather was bad and getting worse, with a lot of slush on the runway. The pilot, Captain James Tain, was a former flight lieutenant in the RAF. He'd been offered the opportunity to remain in Munich overnight, but turned down the offer. A lot of the players at that stage were getting very edgy. They were discussing to each other. They were changing seats in the plane. Some going to the back, other going, you know, whatever. They were a little bit edgy about it. Then, of course, the plane tried to take off, went through a perimeter fence, and uh, there was a, a house or a hut at the end of the fence. It crashed through the fence, and uh, that's, that, that was the, the, the tragedy itself. In the aftermath of the crash, goalkeeper Harry Gregg was lauded for the courage he showed in remaining in the burning wreckage and dragging a number of people to safety, including Sir Matt Busby and the mother and child. But later he would lament the lack of moral courage that just one person was required to show that could have averted the takeoff and crash. Let's hear what he had to say. At that stage, I thought everyone on the aeroplane was afraid. There's no doubt about it. Everyone on the aeroplane was afraid at that time. And no one was courageous enough, I don't know what you suppose you call it, moral courage to stand up and say I'm not going. And I feel myself, if someone had, anyone had stood up and said, I'm not going, I feel no one would have gone. I sat down very low in my seat, thinking if this thing, if the belly of this thing does go up, we hit the roof, at least the seat saves my head. So I got down low for this reason, put my feet up on the, the chair in front of me. And as, let's say, I prepared myself for what I thought might happen. I watched the wheels lock and I knew he was breaking again. So I braced myself. I remember thinking to myself at the time, Christ, I'm going to get killed. And I've just made the big time. I never see my family again and I won't see my parents. I remember thinking, I'm going to get killed in Germany. I can't speak German. As I say, there was blackness and I couldn't understand this and I thought I was dead. And I thought, well, I must be in hell because everything's black. I had no sense of fear. And uh, I didn't think that I had time 
to be afraid after what happened because a child, a child, I heard a child cry inside what was left of the aircraft. And uh, I think this brought me to my senses. And uh, I went looking for it. In his quest to build up his sports gallery in Liscarroll, Philip Egan once had a long chat with Harry Gregg. It was around the time that George Best had passed away. We spoke really about his career and, um, I, you know, about Northern Ireland. We spoke, George Best had died uh, at the time and we spoke a good bit about George Best, his admiration for Best and all the rest of it and just a few recollections. It's it's good point since I spoke to him now, but basically it was about the pitch and the, coll- and the gallery and one thing and the other and about his time at United and uh, and whatever, you know. The aftermath then of the crash? Well, the aftermath of the crash was, was extremely sad in the sense that Jimmy Murphy, who was um, the manager, Busby, his assistant. Now, Jimmy Murphy was a huge man in the history of Manchester United. In so far, he was the main coach. He was a pioneer of coaching. He was ahead of his time. And Jimmy Murphy would have been on the plane that night, except that he took charge of Wales for their 1958 World Cup qualifier against Israel. Now, his assistant coach, Bert Wally, took his place on the plane and, and, and was killed. So the aftermath was very sad in the sense that um, Jimmy Murphy came back, heard the news. Seven or eight of the players were killed. More of them were injured. Busby was in a critical condition. Busby received the last rights twice and um, wasn't expected to make it. So in the immediate aftermath of it, uh, Jimmy Murphy had to put a makeshift team together to play uh, a game the following week. Sir Matt Busby always referred to Jimmy Murphy as his best signing. In this audio, Jimmy Murphy describes hearing about the plane crash for the very first time. Well, those were the Welsh team. The Welsh team played Israel and Cardiff in the World Cup and... Uh, my assistant went, Bert, poor old Bert, and he, he had my seat and he went. A taxi from town and uh, got the office at the top end there, and Alma George, who was our secretary then, I went upstairs and there seemed to be no one. It was more strange, there's no one around at all. And uh, I had a drink, gave her a drink. I stumped to her, Jimmy, says, I heard about what? She said, the plane has crashed. It never struck me at all. And she said it again. I was have another drink. I'm a quick drinker, by the way, and answered my second one quickly. But uh, she said it again, and she started to cry. And then it struck me very vividly. I thought, God, no. The last thing I thought was a plane crash. So in my John Middle office there, I went in, and I, I cried myself for 20 minutes. Couldn't realize it. Heartless players you brought up, more or less live with. Very difficult. They started to go into different funerals. You know, it's very, very hard. And probably two will get buried the same day. People everywhere, you know, inside and offices and outside particularly.
At present, Donkey Sanctuary Ireland has 1,800 donkeys and mules under their care. 670 of these reside in guardian homes. The remainder are spread over four farms here in the Liscarroll area. Here at the farm just outside Liscarroll, which is also the visitor farm, they have 150 donkeys and mules. Director of Donkey Sanctuary Ireland, Laura Foster, agrees when I suggest that it must be a time-consuming job. It is, yeah. We have our, our farms teams work incredibly hard, and um, yeah, we've just we've actually just recruited um, a batch of, of farm worker grooms um, across our sites, and uh, it's great to see younger people as well coming into the team and taking an interest in donkey welfare and recruiting people from the local area. It's really great. How great a concern is cruelty at the moment? I think when most people think of cruelty they would think of deliberate sort of wanton attempts to hurt an animal or any being in fact what we would see the biggest problem is um, neglect and a lot of the time that isn't willful neglect it's just because people aren't aware of a lot of the husbandry um, issues that I was I was talking about earlier so it is a big problem Um, I mean we went out to on over 2,000 occasions last year we had over 500 reports of concern from members of the public about donkeys that weren't theirs so you know report reported complaints if you like so it's a bigger problem than a lot of people might realize and as I say, the key to, to resolving it really is through is through education and awareness raising because in the vast majority of cases, this isn't deliberate. It's just people not understanding how to look after their animals properly. The cases that tend to attract the most attention are the cases that are sort of stark examples of cruelty. So there was a case recently in Offaly that me, many people may have seen in the media of a, of a donkey that appeared to be being dragged by a moving, a moving car. And cases like that are much rarer than the sort of more chronic cases of of neglect that we would deal with. And it's right to differentiate between concern, neglect and cruelty. Absolutely, they they are different and um, that's where our our welfare advisors are so good with people. As you'd expect, they're really good with donkeys, but they're really, really good with people because that's what's key to improving animal welfare across the board is is actually changing human understanding and then human behaviour of how to how to look after animals so um yeah they really are a fantastic team of people and and as i say wherever possible we want to find solutions you know it's it's about a collaborative um relationship really and that's the end of part two in where the road takes me but coming up in part three after the break i return to the donkey sanctuary and we hear more about the aftermath of the munich air disaster and the irish connection with manchester united as i return also to the sports gallery at egan's lounge bar right here in the village of liscarroll 